So uh, Dave Dietz and his partner in crime, Joel Tetro, have been with us multiple times over the last, I don't know, a year and a half or something, um, coming at different times, training our leadership. And we just had the last sort of leadership group with him. We hope that's not the end of him being around here sometimes, though. And he's, he's always open to offering help to us. But um, he was so gracious to want to speak to you this morning and t bring you the word of God. And I was so happy he was able to do that. So Dave, is, um, he was a pastor for many years, and he's a big shot in IBL, which is the Institute for Biblical Leadership. He's also a big shot in the IFCA, which is the group our church belongs to. He's, uh, he's on the, what do they call that thing, the Executive Council Board or something like that. Yeah. So anyway, he's, um, he's a pretty highly placed guy. So be on your best behavior, Freddie. <laughs> so Dave, come, brother, and bring us the words. Well, thank you so much. Uh, it's great to be able to be with you all on a Sunday. Uh, I feel like we know a lot of you very well. And uh, it's great to be able to meet the rest of you in person and uh, just to be able to be here at uh, Acton Faith Bible Church. And uh, as Pastor Wayne mentioned, we've been able to serve uh, the extended leadership team, the elders, the deacons, the deaconesses uh, over the last probably two years, I think it's been. And uh, just uh, fun to watch the, the growth that God has uh, brought to that group and then just be, to be able to be here with you all today and to be able to... Uh, just meet you and uh, worship with you and participate this morning with you. Um, we are praying that God would continue to bless and work and that uh, he would do his word, uh, his will for your church. And we're praying as he leads you in the building and uh, the continued growth here in Acton. It's just great to know that you guys are faithfully serving and ministering here. Uh, as Pastor Wayne mentioned, uh, I am part of IBL. It's the Institute of Biblical Leadership. And we uh, travel all over the country and the world to help God's leaders. Uh, really, it's all we do is to help them just take the next steps to be the leader or the leaders collectively that God wants them to be. And uh, two things that we mentioned about our ministry that are unique to us. Uh, the first one is that all of us that serve on staff, and there's not that many, so uh, it's easy, I guess, to be a big shot when you have like a couple of us. Um, <laughs> But uh, there's not many of us, but uh, one of the unique things is that all of us on staff, and I believe all of the board uh, of IBL have all been served at some point by IBL. So we know what it was like to be part of a church that had somebody come in and just kind of provide some help and provide some encouragement to us. And so hopefully that helps us in our posture uh, as we come in to not say, you know, what is your problem? I can't believe you would not be perfect. But to actually say, you know, actually, we know what it's like to just need some help, to be able to think through some things and process through some things. And so uh, that's just a great opportunity for us to be able to uh, serve and to minister and um, just be a part of, of IBL. Our church that I pastored, an IFCA church in Michigan, uh, in, the, in the 10 years before I came, had two church splits, a merger, and a fire. And, um, and then I became the pastor at 36 years old and uh, didn't have a clue what I was doing and probably still don't have a clue what I'm doing. Um, but IBL came alongside of us and helped us. And uh, I remember the very first time that IBL came, several of our leaders came to me and they said, we, why are you having somebody come in here? We don't, we're not really sure that we want anybody coming in here to help us. They're very skeptical. By the time I was done, seven years later, we were doing, we did an annual kind of elder deacon retreat, and um, we were in July of that time, we were talking about our retreat that was going to be in September, and I told the guys, I said, you know, we got some new deacons, and we just have a lot of stuff going on. I said, I think we can probably just kind of handle this one internally, and just kind of do it on our own, and there were two older guys who quite honestly could have been my dad. They were that age. They were in the back. They were deacons, and I, they were talking to each other, and so finally I just stopped, and, and uh, Ed, Ed said, Dave, we love you. And it's never good when, you know, deacons or other leaders start off with, Dave, we love you. He said, we love you, but he said, if you could get those IBL guys to come, we would really like that. And so I said, okay, fine, we'll, we'll ask IBL to come and help us and do some more work with us. And so it was just really neat to see how in our church from the very first time of why do we need any help, we don't want anybody coming in here to really towards the end to say, actually, we welcome it, we love it, we engage with it. And so 
Uh, that's how we feel now when we minister and serve to the churches around the country, and uh, we've been very privileged, uh, truly and honestly, to serve with uh, Act in Faith Bible Church and all of the elders and deaconess, uh, deaconesses and deacons, and so uh, just a, a special treat to be able to be here uh, this morning with you. Well, this morning we're going to look at the book of Romans, chapter 15. This is uh, uh, towards the end of the book of Romans, and uh, obviously the book of Romans is a very uh, intense book, theologically, and uh, we're, we're actually going to look at something I think is very practical in this, in this book, um, and it's a message that probably doesn't get preached that often, mostly because if it's preached by a typical traditional missionary, it may come off as self-serving. So just a little bit of background about myself and our family, my wife Kimberly and our three kids. Um, in 2006, we actually felt the Lord leading us to go to Italy uh, to become missionaries. And so we uh, left, I was a youth pastor in Farmington, New Mexico, and so we left Farmington, New Mexico, and we began the process of, of raising support to go to Italy as missionaries. There's not much, as you know, out west, there's not a lot of churches, and we're kind of spread out, and so... Um, we kind of piled everything into our van. Our oldest son, Caleb, was three years old, and our son, Andrew, was two weeks old when we left on deputation. And for uh, two and a half years, we went around the country raising support to go to Italy as missionaries. Through the course of that time, we were able to raise about 70% of our support. But all during that time, our son, Andrew, who's our middle son, had some serious health issues. And we were in and out of the hospital with him all across the country, different places, in and out of the hospital, just struggling with his health, not knowing what was going on, not knowing what was happening. And uh, we finally realized as we were working with our doctor that we had been connected to in Denver, which is kind of where we based, that we could no longer continue in that journey of raising support to go to Italy as missionaries. The doctor told us, he, she said, you can continue to travel with your son. It's your decision. It's your son. But if you do so, you probably will kill him because his body just cannot handle uh, what he is going through. And so we made the decision in one day to give up 70% of the support that we had worked very hard over two and a half years to raise. And so I remember during that time, and I remember even after that time wondering, God, what what was all that about? Like, why did you have us traveling all over the country in 150 churches? We drove about 120,000 miles, living out of a little Toyota Sienna with all of our stuff, with all of our kids, and then we gave it all up in one day. God, what was all that for? I didn't know. I had no idea. Now, as I've looked back, it's some 20 years later, I can look back and go, you know, I can see where God used those experiences, and he used those opportunities to be able to shape us and form us and mold us, and now what we do with IBL, it's part of that whole process. But as we look at Romans chapter 15, and we're going to be looking towards the end of this chapter this morning, it's really along this idea of if a missionary could be honest with you, what would they tell you? So missionaries come, I know you just had somebody, I believe, last week, you also are in, in, in support or in communication with and have a relationship with Alan Tiyebwa. Alan works with us as part of our uh, international training that we do at IBL. We love Alan and Maggie and the kids and continue to pray for them as they recover from the attack that they just had on their family. But if a missionary were to be able to be honest with you, they would probably say some things that you wouldn't expect. Because oftentimes when missionaries come, they feel like they've got to tell you all the right things. And they've got to tell you just, let, let's talk about this and let's talk about that. And, but they really can't be as honest as they would like to be because it may come off as self-serving. Well, I think Paul addresses some of that here in Romans chapter 15 when he is talking about this relationship that he has with the church at Rome and what he desires to have with them. Let's look at Romans chapter 15, verse 30 through 33. It says this, and I should have asked Pastor Wayne, I, what translation do you normally use? I use NASB 1995. Oh, NASB 1995. Uh, I don't have the, I have the ESV. I hope that's okay. Is that good? Oh, Mark and Saul and I will be good. Um, I could actually flip to the, uh, let me do that, actually. Let me, uh, the beauty of technology, right? 
All right, so I'll track to the NASB with you. That way it's a little bit easier. Um, verse 30 says this, Now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I may be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints, so that I may come to you in joy by the will of God and find refreshing rest in your company. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Let's have a word of prayer as we begin this morning. Father, we are indeed so thankful to you for all that you have done for us. Father, we do thank you for Act in Faith Bible Church. We're thankful that when we look back over the history of this body of believers, we can see your faithful hand at work to provide, to sustain, to encourage, to embolden, Father, I pray that you would continue to unify this body of believers. That they may continue to be a light to this community. A testimony to the fact that there is a God who is faithful and powerful and sovereign, loving, kind and gracious and merciful. That the world around Acton, California, may see the light that shines forth from this body of believers. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. And Father, this morning we pray that you would help us as we examine this particular text to, to be able to see the application that you have for us. What do you desire for us as we engage in this process of fighting alongside of our fellow believers? We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. In the book of Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, Paul is going to remind us that we are to be linked arm in arm, striving side by side for the gospel of Jesus Christ. The picture that Paul uses in Philippians is this picture of a military concept. We know the church of Philippi had a lot of people that were retired military, and so the military idea that Paul is presenting to them in verse 27 of chapter 1 is this idea of, of the old-fashioned military tactics of fighting, being linked arm in arm so that they would see one formidable force. And that's certainly God's desire and prayer for you here at Acton, is that you would be linked arm in arm and striving side by side for the gospel of Jesus Christ. But what does that really look like? In our line of work, in our ministry, unfortunately, we see a lot of churches that aren't linked arm in arm. They're actually fighting with each other, and they're, they're struggling with each other. And the work of God is hindered as it moves forward because of the relationships that may exist within the body. Well, as Paul is talking about in this passage in Romans, as he talks about in Philippians, as he talks about in other texts of Scripture, Paul often uses this idea of, of fighting or working or struggling or laboring together. In other words, it's not something that we can just cross our fingers and hope for the best that it will work out laboring, striving side by side for the gospel is something that takes proactive work on all of our parts as believers. And so we look at this title this morning that we have, which is called An Invitation to Fight. My mother will no doubt watch this message. I only have one person who loves me enough to watch every message I preach everywhere around the country. And so mom, I know you're watching at some point. I love you. If my mom were to critique the title of this message, she would say, David, is that really the best title you could come up with? An invitation to fight. Let's not be thinking about fighting. Well, you may look at a title like this and say, oh, wow. Like, we're going to cage fight here at Acton Faith Bible Church. What, what's going to happen? The, the guy that's coming in is talking about fighting. I thought he was with a ministry that was working with helping people get along better. Well, when we think about this and we think about the aspect of fighting and we may say, well, we don't need any more encouragement to fight. We turn on the TV and we see the political unrest that occurs in our country. We, we can watch all of, the, all of the struggles that are currently taking place internationally with Israel and all of the complications that are going on over there. And so we, we may say at first blush, like this is not something that we should be thinking about of this idea of fighting. 
But we know that through Paul's teachings and through Paul's writings, he talks often about these things. In fact, we know in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5, he talks about that there is fighting without. There's fighting outside of the body of Christ. There's fighting outside of the church. But we know from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, that Paul reminds us to fight the good fight. So Paul is using this language often. We know from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, that Paul says this, we wrestle against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, over this present darkness and spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. So Paul litters his, his writings with this idea of fighting and wrestling and striving and, and conflict, even from the book of Philippians. And we know from Colossians chapter 1 that we looked at this morning, Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 through 29, where Paul states this, Him we proclaim, that's Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And then verse 29 of Colossians 1, Paul says this, for this, this proclamation of Jesus Christ, this, this laboring to proclaim Christ, to present everyone mature in Christ, Paul says, for this I toil or I work, I labor, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Paul states the goal of a committed Christ follower is that they would proclaim Christ by warning others and teaching others and that they would bring them to maturity. And that's why he then states in verse 29 that this is what he fights for. He uses a Greek word there which is soon agonizomai. The prefix soon means together, and agonizomai is really kind of what we think about it as, agonizing. Paul says, I, I want you to, to agonize with me in the process of delivering the gospel to people. And in Colossians chapter 1, Paul is actually asking us, the, the, the listeners there in Colossae, to join with him in a physical location of fighting together for the gospel and the proclamation of the gospel. That's a labor. That's a toil. That's a struggle. That takes difficult work. It's not always easy to labor for the gospel. But then we come to Romans chapter 15, and Paul is going to use this word again. Actually, we technically should say he uses it in Colossae, and then he uses it here in Romans. But Romans chapter 15, and this is where Paul is going to address this topic again and deal with this topic again of soon agonizomai. So Paul states this in verse 30. Now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 through 29, in verse 29, he uses the Greek word, soon agonizomai, labor together with me, work together with me to proclaim the gospel and bring everyone to maturity in Christ, Paul says. But now he's writing to the church of Rome in Romans chapter 15, and Paul is not with them. We know from the context of this passage that Paul is hoping to come to them, that Paul is desiring to be with them, but Paul is not physically with them. So what is Paul suggesting when he says to them in Romans chapter 15, verse 30, I want you to strive together with me. Paul is using that same Greek word, soon agonizomai, agonizers together. You think about the word agonize. I remember back in the, uh, like I think probably in the 80s, there used to be on ABC Wide World of Sports. Everybody remember that? The thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. And I think if I remember correctly, they showed that guy going off the ski jump that kind of went flipping head over heels when they said the agony of defeat. Like, this is an agonizing, devastating, emotionally draining situation. That's what Paul is talking about. 
Paul is asking us to agonize with him. His request is not like it was in Colossians to physically join him in this process of delivering the gospel or bringing people to maturity. In this context of this passage in Romans 15, the context is a spiritual battle that Paul is asking us to join with him in. Well, what is this fight that Paul is asking and inviting believers to participate in? The spiritual fight is world evangelism, and prayer is the means by which we join that fight. I remember as we traveled around to the 150 churches that we ministered to on deputation from 2006 to 2009, there was often a thought, or at least an idea, that was presented that said, you know, Dave, we're so excited that you and your family are going to go to move to Italy and you're going to go reach Italians for the gospel and you're going to reach people with Christ and here's 20 bucks. We threw it in the offering and our job is done. Dave, you go and do it. Here's the $20 and if everybody gives you $20, you can go do it and now we've done our part in reaching the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But that's not how we engage in world evangelism. God has called you to act in California. He hasn't called you to Mbarara, Uganda. He hasn't called you to other locations of places where your missionaries that you support serve. God has called you here. He's called you to be faithful here. But is there more to world evangelism than just simply throwing $20 in the plate? Is there more to world evangelism than maybe just saying, oh, I'll think about inviting a neighbor to an outreach that we're having at church? Is there more to this process than just those things, which are fine? And Paul is saying, yes. As a missionary, Paul is saying, I am asking you to agonize with me and to know what I'm going through and to know what I'm dealing with and to, to know what is happening in my world. We know that Luke reminds us of, of the, the, the laborers that need to be sent into the harvest field, that we are to pray for laborers to be sent we're not just simply praying that God would send laborers. Paul doesn't say, would you just, would you just kind of have a prayer meeting that God would send out laborers? That's a good thing. Like we shouldn't stop praying for that. But we cannot salve our conscience by simply throwing a 20 in the plate, maybe passing out a flyer at our workplace, or maybe just praying, okay, God, send somebody out to the mission field. We hope somebody goes out. And by the way, we mean them, not me. God, send them. Don't send me. Have we done what Paul is describing here in, when he says in verse 30, strive together with me? What does it mean to actually agonize together with our missionaries? And that's what we want to look at this morning. The big idea, and this is where I think your notes are going to start for you if you are a note taker. But the big idea here is this. Prayer is just as vital to the work of world evangelism as the work itself. Prayer is just as vital to the work of world evangelism as the work itself. Paul is doing what? Paul is imploring believers of every age, every status, every background, to actively engage in world evangelism with him. But Paul isn't talking in this text about going next door and handing out a flyer, or even going next door and necessarily talking to your neighbor about Jesus Christ. Paul is addressing a specific aspect of the relationship between people in the church and missionaries that they are engaged with. So we're not suggesting that you should stop trying to witness to a coworker, or that you should stop trying to witness to a neighbor or that you should stop giving $20 in the plate for missionaries. But Paul is actually saying, I want to take it a little bit deeper. I want to express to you what is on my heart and what's on my mind and how we can engage in this process. And so Paul is going to suggest or he's going to give us three aspects or three ways in which we can be agonizers together with him and with the other missionaries that we engage with. These three things are this that we're going to look at this morning. First of all, that he be delivered from unbelievers. 
Second of all, that his work would please the saints. And thirdly, that he could come to Rome to be refreshed by them. That's what Paul is going to lay out for us here. These are the three things, the three requests that Paul has for the believers in Rome to say, this is what I want. When you're agonizing together with me, I'm not talking about throwing $20 in the plate necessarily or in the box. I'm not talking necessarily about giving a pamphlet to your neighbors. I'm not necessarily talking about those things, but I'm talking about how can you agonize together with me. And Paul is laying out three ways in which these believers can agonize together with him. First of all, the first way Paul says you can agonize together with me is that you would pray that they would be delivered from Satan's attacks. What does your missionary want you to pray for? I remember when I grew up, my mom was in charge of housing and meals for all the missionaries that came through our church. We had a missions conference every year in our church growing up, and we had missionaries that we supported, and they regularly came through, and my mom's job was to find housing and meals for those missionaries. So you know what happened? We often housed the missionaries, and we often fed the missionaries. Why? Because nobody else really wanted to do that. Maybe because they didn't know how to do that. Maybe because they were scared to do that. There could have been a whole host of reasons. I remember one time we were on deputation. We were actually at the church where my wife grew up, and we were back visiting, and they, they supported us, and we kind of based there, and we were in a Sunday school class, and we were sitting there just minding my own business, which I usually try to do, and minding my own business, and this guy turns around to me, and he goes, I've never met one of you. <laughs> and I'm like, I, okay. I said, what, what, what do you mean? He said, I've never met a real missionary. He said, this is so cool. And I'm like, man, I'm just Dave. Uh, I, I, I do everything probably just like you do. I'm like no different. It really kind of freaked me out that he was like, I have never met one of you. Like I was some sort of, I don't know what he had created in his head. And maybe that's how people feel within a church. Well, we've never talked to a missionary. We've never engaged with a missionary. We, we have never interacted with a missionary. I can assure you that any missionary worth his weight of support is just going to be a normal person who's just doing what God has asked them to do somewhere else other than where you happen to live. That's, that's really what a good missionary is. But when we think about our missionaries and we think about praying for them, I appreciate this morning in Sunday school, we prayed for the missionaries and prayed for the ministries and this morning spending time in prayer. But here's the things that Paul says, when you, when you pray for us as missionaries, this is what we want you to pray for. First of all, pray that they would be delivered from Satan's attacks. Look what he says there. Verse 30, now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me that I may be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea. Pray that they would be delivered from Satan's attacks. Pray that they would be delivered from the attacks of those who are going to try to cause harm to them or, or try to cause conflicts to them or, or try to cause some issue to them. We don't have to look far to see the attacks that have occurred in places around the world. In fact, it was just a few weeks ago that we received the word from Alan and Maggie about what had happened with them in Uganda. That kind of comes home and it kind of spends some time roosting in our home to be able to say, wow, look at that. Look at what has happened. Look at, that's something that we wouldn't face here in America. We wouldn't think about that in America. And Paul says, I want you to pray that we would be delivered from Satan's attacks. You see, every day those who are engaged in world evangelism around the world face social, economic, spiritual, and even physical attacks. And so it isn't just about saying, God, please be with our missionaries, amen, or God, send out more missionaries, amen. It's about saying, God, would you please spare them? Would you please save them? Would you please rescue them from those who are causing them harm? Paul's prayer is that we would not simply just pray, but that we would feel the weight of what they're going through. 
For those of you that may have read Alan's updates on Facebook and other means that he communicated, if you read through that and if you know Alan and you know what he's going through and you know him as a person, you understand there was a weight to what he was describing as it took place with his family being away from his wife and children, the weight that Alan described. And Paul would say, that's what we want you to feel. Feel the weight of what they're going through. A week and a half ago, we have missionaries that our church supported in uh, Michigan that we um, engage with in, in Kenya. They also are part of our IBL team in Kenya in the Nairobi area, uh, Fred and Rebecca Mukumbu and their two children, Caleb and Abigail. Phenomenal work, doing a phenomenal job, very similar to what Alan's doing. And Fred called me and he said, Dave, he said, we have a very urgent prayer request. He said, we just found out that the land that we built our home on, it's a thousand acres and there's a th probably, a, 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 probably 2,000 homes on this thousand of acres, including our church which runs about 300 people that God has built over the last decade. He said, we just found out that it was sold illegally to people. And we have until December 30th to relocate our entire family, this entire community, and the entire church is all going to be bulldozed down in 60 days. Dave, would you please pray for us? That is a weighty matter. Like nobody in America wakes up one day and gets a decree that says, listen, the entire community of Acton, California is going to be bulldozed over. Everything is gone in 60 days. Figure out where to go. But this is the reality of what some of the people that we deal with in majority world and other places are dealing with. And Paul says when you agonize together with a missionary or you agonize together with people, it's to feel the weight of what they're going through. So what are some practical ways that we can do this? I wanted to, to be theological, be biblical with the text, but also to be practical. So how do we linger with them, and how do we feel the weight with them? Well, there's five things that we can think about as practical ways. Faithfully read their updates. I appreciate the giving out of the updates this morning in Sunday school. Faithfully read those updates. Feel the weight of what these people are going through. Number two, communicate often to let them know you are praying for them and ask them to be specific with what is happening in their lives and ministries and burdens that they bear. It's wonderful that you get updates from the church and that you pray for them. But as a missionary, somebody who has been a missionary, and technically I am mission-supported now, but I don't live overseas, but as somebody who understands that world, it's amazing to get a note that says, hey, we actually read what you wrote. We actually prayed for you. We care about you. We miss you. We love you. And here's what's happening. And here's how we're praying for you. Man, that's encouraging. Number three, if at all possible, visit their area of ministry and spend time doing life with them. Say, well, I, I wouldn't want to bother them. I, I wouldn't want to be a bother to them in their ministry. What, what better way to get to know what is going on in the life of the missionaries that you support than to go visit them and engage with them and, and spend time with them so that when they talk about people in their church or they talk about an area or a place that they're, they're ministering in, you can say, I know what they're talking about. I know what they're dealing with. I know what they're going through. Number four, pray for their extended family. And if possible, jot them a note to let them know you are praying for them and for their loved ones. Paul Sager, who was the former director of Biblical Ministries Worldwide, wrote a book entitled Senders. And in the end of chapter one, I believe it is, he, he makes this comment about the empty chair at Thanksgiving. That your family gathers together at Thanksgiving, your family gathers together at Christmas, and for those who have family members who are serving overseas as missionaries in the cause of Christ's work, he talks about the empty chair that represents the family that's not there. Man, so the people that you support, find out how to contact their parents and say, hey, you know what, I'm, I'm praying for your son and your daughter-in-law as they serve and minister in this country, and I just want to let you know I'm praying for you. That's going to encourage them and mean so much to them. What prompts people to do that? It's people who feel the weight 
of what those people are going through. Number five, text them scriptures. You are praying for them on their behalf. Hey, this morning I prayed for you, and I'm praying this particular text of scripture for you. Using scripture to reinforce your prayer is a powerful tool. So we can pray for them and texting them scripture passages or emailing them. So Paul says, listen, if you want to agonize together, you want to strive together, as he says in verse 30, you strive together with me in your prayers to God, this is what I want you to do. Pray that I would be delivered from Satan's attack. Satan is attacking all of us. But even more so those who are serving for the cause of Christ around the world. Second of all, Paul says, not only would I pray that you, want you to pray that I would be delivered from Satan's attacks, Paul says, second of all, pray that they would glorify God. Look what he says at the end of verse 31. And that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints. Paul is going to serve. He's going to minister to those who are in Jerusalem. Pray that it is acceptable to them. The heart of what Paul is trying to describe is pray that I would glorify God in all of my actions. Man, it's difficult when you're on the mission field. To glorify God in everything you do. We can become pragmatic. We can become just whatever works, whatever gets by, whatever makes it through. Okay, Paul says, pray for me. Pray that not only I would be delivered from Satan's attacks, but pray that I would glorify God in everything I do. I want to glorify God. I want to be somebody who glorifies him in all that I do. Paul has talked about that in other passages, the pride that he faced. Remember, we know that from Corinthians. And he says, my grace, God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul says he was given something to buffet him and to be that thorn in the flesh, to lest he be puffed up. All of our missionaries, all of those who are serving for the cause of Christ need to make sure that we do things that are only pleasing and glorifying to God, that the Holy Spirit would work in and through us. And so Paul says, first of all, I want you to pray that I would be delivered from Satan's attacks. There's five practical ways that we talked about there. Second of all, pray that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints that I would glorify God in all that I would do. So how do we pray that somebody would glorify God? Because sometimes we don't think about this. But here's some practical ways that you can pray for them that they would glorify God. First of all, pray that they would know God for who he is. Pray that they would know God for who he is. Second of all, pray that they would only seek his approval. They would only do things that would be on the approval of God, not for the approval of men, that they would be faithful. We think of Daniel and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as they engaged in the process of, of dealing with uh, Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon and all the things that they faced. We know the challenges that they faced, that they needed to make sure that they did things that glorified God. And Paul would say the same thing for us as well. Pray that we would do things that only seek his approval. Number three, pray that they would not be distracted by the empty promises of building their own empires. Pray that they would not be distracted by the empty promises of building their own empires. It's easy for people in ministry to try to build empires. That actually happens a lot. It can happen in the States with ministries. I pastor a church I got to get accepted by a lot of people. I need to build a big building. I need to build a big ministry so that people tell me I'm wonderful. So I kind of beat the people that I'm leading so that I can actually look good for somebody else so that they will give me glory instead of God. Paul says, pray that we would not be distracted by the empty promises of building our own empires. Number four, pray that they would remain faithful even though their, quote, approval rating may be low. These are just some practical tips that a missionary is probably not going to come in here and tell you. A missionary is probably not going to come in and say, you know what, actually one of the things I struggle with is I struggle with not building my own empire. <laughs> a missionary is not going to tell you that. A missionary is going to try to tell you the things that's probably not going to get them dropped and lose their support. But honestly, a missionary is going to say, you know what, pray that even though nobody follows 
I will still be faithful. Pray that I would be faithful regardless of who shows up each week to church. Number five, pray that God's spirit would enable, embolden, and encourage them as they serve. Pray that God's spirit would enable, embolden, and encourage them as they serve. So Paul says, listen, this is what I'm I, 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 coming together to you. I, I'm, I'm coming uh, to, to see you. I want to be with you. He's mentioned that in the previous text. So all of the things that he's accomplished. He says, I want you to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Pray that I would be delivered from Satan's attacks. Pray that I would do things that glorify God. But then thirdly and finally, Paul says, pray that I would be refreshed. Pray that I would be refreshed. Look at verse 32. So that I may come to you in joy by the will of God and find refreshing rest in your company. I wonder if you were to ask yourself this question as a church. I don't know. This would be an interesting question to ask. But if you ask yourself this question, when missionaries come to visit us, are they refreshed? That's an odd question that maybe churches don't ask. Uh, we could tell stories abundant of our time on deputation, some almost 20 years ago, where people had probably good hearts, but it just kind of didn't come off really well, or things that happened that they did, that they tried to do things that were helpful but weren't really helpful. And so it's okay when you have a missionary come that you love and you support and you've been engaged with for years in their ministry to say, how can we be a blessing to you? Now the responsibility is also on the missionary to actually tell you how they can be a blessing or how you can be a blessing to them. But this is what Paul is getting at in verse 32, that I may come to you in joy by the will of God, and find refreshing rest. So Paul says, I want to be longing and looking forward to coming to see you. And when I'm actually there with you, I want to find rest. It's possible that missionaries may show up, and you guys are great people, and I love you, and it's all wonderful, but it's possible. You're not perfect. It's possible that when a missionary comes home to visit their churches, they may look at Act and Faith Bible Church and go, oh, I don't, I really don't want to go there. I, d I don't, that's not something I long to do. I remember when I served in Michigan, and we, our church, like I said, had had a whole lot of issues and struggles in the years past. And we had a family that came, they visited our, our church from uh, the Ukraine area, and they had not been back to our church. We had tried to engage with all of our missionaries and tried to just keep up with all of our missionaries. And they had, they had been really kind of distant in our communication. But they finally, after I was there about four years, they finally agreed that they were going to come to our church. And I was excited because it was like the last one of our missionaries that we had either not gone to visit or had not been back to our church since I had been the pastor there. And they came. They gave an update. They did a great job. It was really phenomenal to hear what they had going on. And we took them to lunch. And I had a couple of the mission team members with me, and we went to lunch, and we're sitting at lunch, and Michael, the missionary, he looked at me. He said, Dave, can I tell you something? I said, sure. He said, I didn't want to be here today. I didn't want to be at your church today. He said, we haven't wanted to come back and give a report to Whitneyville Bible Church in a long time. He said, you know why? Because all we have heard about is the problems and the issues that are going on in this body. And he said, Dave, I'm very sorry, but we have intentionally not come back to visit. Man, do you know what that does to a pastor? Whew. That will like slice you to the heart to hear one of your missionaries for years has said, we don't want to come visit here. Paul is suggesting, and not just suggesting, but he's saying to the church at Rome, I want to find joy when I come to you. I, I want this to be a joyful experience, something I long for and look forward to, and I want it to be something where I find refreshment when I am there. It's very possible that missionaries of Acton Faith Bible Church could say, 
we don't want to come visit this group of people because we do not find joy in coming here. Well, that's a rebuke to a body of believers. That it's possible that our behavior and our actions and our things that we've engaged with are actually having a detrimental effect on those people that we have sent out and supported and encouraged to do world evangelism who say, yeah, uh, when you get things figured out, we'll come see you. And I sat across the table from Michael Carlson in 2017 and I had to hear that as a pastor. That's difficult news to hear. And Paul is suggesting here and saying here, listen, this is what I want. I want to find joy when I come. I want to find refreshment when I come. So what should we pray for? We should pray for those types of situations. Father, the, the, the Yebwas are coming to act in Faith Bible Church. Father, would they find joy and longing to come? And would we refresh them when we're here? That's what you should be praying for. So what are some things that we can do? First of all, be intentional to plan time together. Write them ahead of time and say, we, we would love to get together with you. We would love to spend time. Is there any way that you could spend some extra time with us? We, we have a place for you to stay. We have the arrangements made and, and we want to bless you and we want to take care of you and we want to just spend time with you and we want to be able to hear what's going on and what's happening and what's taking place. Some other practical things. Number two there, do not stress about the surroundings. I would say the house does not have to be immaculate. Just enjoy the moments you have together. What does a missionary want? A missionary wants the same exact things you want. Relationship with people. God has created us to be relational beings. And there are too many times where we look at missionaries and we say, whoa, like I could never have them in my house. Well, why not? They're fine. They want a relationship with you. They're not coming in. They're going, oh, my word. There's a cobweb in the corner. <laughs> they're not going to say that. They might think it, but they're not going to say it. They're not going to go looking around in your kids' bedrooms to go, oh, there's some toys underneath the bed. You know what they're going to come away with? These people loved on us. That's what your missionaries want. And so because there's this misunderstanding that occurs... Quite honestly, it's on both parties' parts. Missionaries are horrendous in not actually communicating the truth of what's happening in their lives. They write news <laughs> updates and letters to keep support. That's the pragmatics of missionaries. We gotta say the right things because we don't want the churches to drop us. But when there's a healthy relationship between a church and a missionary who can just sit there and say, you know what? We love you. We're not dropping you. But we need to know what's going on in your life so we can help you. That is a tremendous joy and refreshment to the missionary. And so you want to strive to create that culture. Number three, the practical thing there, never underestimate the impact even a few minutes together can make. Even after church, just going and talking to them. One of the things that's interesting is I travel to churches and minister in different places and oftentimes you know that people want to talk to you but they they feel like they're a burden to you or they feel like they're 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 inconveniencing you in some capacity and so you kind of know that they're lingering around to wait but then somebody's talking to you and they're taking like 10 to 15 minutes to talk to you and you kind of see these people and they finally just leave a few minutes together of you just waiting to say it's not an inconvenience to them. I just want to say I love you. I'm praying for you. We read your updates. How are the kids doing? We're so thankful for what you're doing. Something as simple as that is a huge encouragement to them. So maybe somebody grabs them for 10 minutes and you don't want to wait around because you don't want to inconvenience them and you don't want them to have to wait around for a long time. Honestly, they would love to have you just simply share with them, even if they stayed here for an extra hour or two. Because in the grand scheme of all of eternity and what they're doing, those moments together with fellow believers who are soon agonizomized, agonizers together, is going to impact them. Number four, it's not about the content of the conversation. Just being together, even quietly, can be refreshing. 
And then number five, it is refreshing to be able to just pick up where you left off and not have to worry about having constant interaction. As both somebody who has been a missionary and somebody who is engaged with a lot of missionaries, I can say that it's enjoyable to just say, you know what, we're just friends and we pick up and maybe we haven't talked in six months. We can just pick up right where we left off and we build a relationship because we are agonizers together for the cause of Christ. The believer who is truly concerned about engaging in prayer for world evangelism will feel the weight of what that missionary is going through. They will feel the weight of Satan's attacks. They will feel the weight of what it means to strive to glorify God. They will feel the weight of the need to be refreshed. And when believers live in this reality, the cause of prayer and world evangelism will align together for the honor and glory of Christ. Encompassing all of that is the statement made by one of the original leaders of the YMCA, who would probably reject the statement now. But John R. Mott stated this, the history of missions is a history of prayer. Everything vital to the success of the world's evangelization hinges on prayer. And here is a significant statement. It is possible for the most obscure person in a church with a heart right toward God to exercise as much power for the evangelization of the world as it is for those who stand in the most prominent positions. What is Mott really trying to say? A three-year-old kid at Acton Faith Bible Church can impact the cause of world evangelism just as much through his faithful prayers as the person who is out there doing the work itself. Never underestimate the impact that your prayers of agonizing together with your missionaries can create. Missionaries probably aren't going to preach this message when they come to your church. But every one of them would want you to say and to be fellow agonizers with them together for the cause of Christ. Is Acton Faith Bible Church a church that agonizes together with their missionaries? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word this morning. And Father, we thank you for this body of believers who I know loves and cares for, prays for, engages with their missionaries around the world. But Father, I pray today that they would have fresh insight into what you desire in this relationship as fellow agonizers together for the cause of Christ. Thank you so much for what you are accomplishing here. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen.